Good morning. Our scripture today is from the book of Romans, chapter 4, verses 18 to 25. You can follow along in your Bible, in your bulletin, or on the screen behind me. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver considering concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This is the word of God. Uh, One of Becca and I's favorite shows over the last few years has been Ted Lasso. Uh, During the pandemic, when it felt like we all just entered into this collective depression, Ted Lasso was our, our beacon of hope. He became this cultural phenomenon, so much so that even this past couple weeks ago, I still had multiple middle schoolers come to our house trick-or-treating as Ted Lasso with the visor and the mustache and the sunglasses. If you've never seen Ted Lasso, it's a comedy about an American football coach who moves to London to coach a professional soccer team knowing absolutely nothing about soccer. Uh, the team that he comes to, they're, they're underperformers. They're at the bottom of the league. They have this palpable cynicism following them, so much so that the fans of this team have a mantra to keep themselves from, from being too disappointed. It's the hope that kills you. And into this team comes Ted Lasso, this golden retriever of a man from America, whose whole approach to coaching could come down to one word, believe. He's got it written on posters above his office, in his kitchen, on his bathroom mirror. During one of his halftime speeches, when his team is getting crushed, he he tells them, I believe in hope. I believe in believe. You could say that one word actually summed up the entire show. In fact, you can buy at Barnes & Noble a book called Believe, The Short Guide to Ted Lasso. Well, all throughout this chapter, the Apostle Paul has been putting up posters with that same word on it, believe. That as Pastor Brian showed us last week in the gospel, We are forgiven, accepted, and beloved by God, not by following the right rules, belonging to the right people, standing for the right causes, but through faith and nothing else. 
that when we come to God with the empty hands of faith, he in turn wallpapers our reality with his lavish love to us in Jesus so that messy, sinful, imperfect people like you and me can stand before the eyes of God, entirely known, eternally embraced, and there's nothing that we can do to change that. We're justified. We're forgiven and accepted by our big-hearted Father through faith plus nothing. But what kind of faith? Because, I mean, that's a word that, that gets used a, a whole lot of different ways. Is faith checking our mind at the door and, and just going with what we sense in our gut? Like the atheist Richard Dawkins once put it, belief in something in spite of, even perhaps because of the lack of evidence? Or is faith what cultural Christianity can portray it as? Having the right answers, being against the right people? Or is faith, like Ted Lasso embodies it, this vague, optimistic hunch that in the end, everything's going to be okay? What's the faith that justifies us? What's the faith that walks us through the door, through the wardrobe, into the unbridled affection of God for us? Well, Paul in this passage, he shows us through the life of someone who experienced the gift of it. Abraham. Uh, you see, all throughout the Bible, there is one way that any person gets saved. By grace, through faith in Jesus. And Paul here in this passage, he, he gives us a model, a mold of what that looks like in Abraham. A person just like any one of us. Needy, broken, inconsistent, who God gives a faith in Jesus that declared Abraham righteous. And Paul's saying, faith Abraham had, that's the faith that you and I need. And so those are the two things that we're going to look at in this passage. His faith and our faith. So first, his faith. Uh, Paul, he gives us a, a window into the faith of Abraham. And when, it, when he does, three things come into view. First, Abraham's faith is hope-filled. Did you hear these, these beautiful words to start the passage? In verse 18, Paul says, Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. And so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. See, back in Genesis, Abraham had been given a promise by God. Count the stars, count the sand, count the dust. That's how big your family tree is going to be. There's just one important detail Abraham and his wife Sarah are childless in their 90s. Right, that ship has sailed. They've passed the point of no return. 
How is Abraham going to be the father of many nations when he can't even be the father of one kid? Abraham, he heard God's word. He, he heard God's longing to through him bless all the families of the world. But his circumstances were steadily whispering to him the opposite. And yet against all hope, he hoped. Despite what he was facing, contrary to what he should have been expecting, Abraham banked his life on the future that God has promised for him. Because that's what hope is. Hope is anticipating goodness. It's expecting favor. Because as the author N.T. Wright put it, remembering the future into the present it's lingering on God's gospel promises to you until they color your reality. It's steeping yourself in God's bright future for you in Jesus so that when circumstances in and around you seem hopeless, you are still pulled forward by God's commitments of grace to you in Jesus. So Abraham's faith, it was hope-filled and it was honest it was honest first about his weakness. Paul says in verse 19, Abraham, he faced the fact that, that his body was as good as dead and that Sarah's womb was dead. See, a Abraham's faith, it was incredibly realistic about himself, incredibly honest about the need that he was in. His faith was simply this, allowing his openness to God making a home in Abraham's barrenness, breathing life into his deadness. It wasn't denying the obstacles in front of him and inside of him, but allowing God to meet Abraham in that place where his potential had run out. But Abraham's faith, it wasn't just honest about his weakness. It was also honest about his humanness. How did you respond when you heard Lauren say these words in, in verses 19 and 20? But, but Abraham didn't weaken in his faith. He didn't waver through unbelief, but became stronger in the promises of God. Uh, if, if, you've, if you've read the story of Abraham in Genesis you may be wondering, did Paul have the same copy of Genesis that we do? Uh, Abraham, he's called the father of the faithful. He just as easily could have been called the father of the doubtful. He was human, like all of us. He, he wrestled with his faith. He, he got impatient and tried to make things happen on his own. So how can Paul say, he never wavered? I think this is actually God speaking through Paul about how much God loved Abraham's faith. Uh, if you come to our house right now uh, and try to get something out of our fridge, you'll probably unintentionally knock off one of the countless pieces of artwork that our kids have made that are hanging on our fridge. 
We've got, we've got the whole thing up there, paintings, drawings, crafts. It's, it's more a museum than a fridge right now. Now, in college, I was actually an art major. Not a very good one, but uh, enough that I can spot good art and bad art. So when my three-year-old daughter brings me a drawing that she just made, do I, do I tell her, the, the color, it's all off. And the balance, yikes. And the texture, let's just not even go there. No. No, what do I say? It's great, Sybil. Am I lying? No. I know they're not perfect pictures. But I love when she draws them for me. God loved Abraham's faith. He gave it to him. He sustained it in him. He strengthened it in him. And, and here in Romans 4, he honors it in him. God speaking through Paul, he, he's not lying. He's looking at his child Abraham's piece of artwork and saying, oh man, it's great. And even more than that, He's saying, Abraham, this faith that may seem so weak to you is a whole lot stronger than you think. It was as strong as God himself who loved faith into Abraham and loved him through his doubts, his struggles, his ups, his downs. God loves this morning your struggling faith. When he looks at our honest faith with all its weakness and humanness, he, he smiles and says, it's a whole lot stronger than you think. As strong as my unbreakable love for you. Abraham's faith, it was hope-filled, honest, and intimate. Paul says in verse 20 that that. Abraham gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. See, Abraham came to settle, came to believe, not in an idea, in a tradition, in a concept. No, he, he came to believe in a personal God. He became fully persuaded in the nuclear power of God that as Paul says in verse 17, Abraham came to see that, that God could raise the dead. He could call into being what wasn't there, that nothing was off limits for him. And Abraham became fully persuaded in the unchanging love of God for him in the gospel. He had been surprised into wonder at the gracious, generous heart of God. He came to see God's highest priority was blessing. His deepest delight was mercy. His knee-jerk reaction was goodness. And when the two of those came together, when Abraham saw God's power and love, he, he became fully convinced, not just that God could, but that he would keep his commitments of grace to Abraham. He came to an intimate faith that didn't believe in God, but believed God. And the result? Verse 22, it was credited to him as righteousness. By 
faith. Abraham is forgiven, accepted, and beloved by God. He can now be sure that at the end of his life, that was riddled with inconsistencies, setbacks, failures, he will stand before God and hear the words righteous spoken of him. Only he doesn't have to wait. No, God declared that verdict over him at the start line, not the finish line. Meaning this, for Abraham, the pressure's off. He no longer needs to fear rejection, win approval, defend his reputation, hide his weakness, or pretend he's something he's not. He's been justified by faith, righteous in Jesus, enjoyed by God, and it was all, all grace. So that's his faith. What about our faith? Uh, when, I, when I was in college as an art major, one of the projects that I had to do was to make a, a cast iron sculpture of an animal. Now, for some reason, I chose to do a shark, which is incredibly ironic because if you know me, you know I'm terrified of sharks. Uh, I grew up in New York. We don't have sharks up there. Not a bit. Uh, I, this is why I don't go far out into the ocean when I'm there because I'm not crazy. I got a wife and kids to come home to. But to make a cast iron sculpture, you first have to make a mold, and then you pour the iron in, you let it cool, and then you break the mold, and you've got your sculpture. Now imagine if all I did was just make the mold. I gave that to my teacher as my grade. Uh, he would look at me and think, man, Eric, like, I thought you were struggling, but you have completely missed the point here. The point of the, whole, the mold, the whole purpose of it is to put something in it and let it come to life. Well, Paul's saying here, Abraham's faith is just the mold. Don't just look at it and study it. No, put yourself into it and come to life. See, Abraham, he, he met the same God we meet, believed the same promises we believe, was justified by the same Jesus we are justified by. And when he believed, he walked through the wardrobe into the acceptance, forgiveness, and embrace of God. And Paul is saying, walk through that wardrobe with him. Make his faith your faith. A faith that's hope-filled. A faith that, as Paul says in verse 20, trusts in God who raised Jesus from the dead. That just like with Abraham, where God entered into a dead womb and gave life on Easter Sunday, God entered into a dark tomb and gave resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus means whatever you are facing today, your future is incredibly bright because your future is Jesus' future. It means that we today are pregnant with hope, a hope that Paul later says will never put us to shame. And like Abraham, give yourself over to a faith that's honest. One that can say with Paul in verse 25, Jesus was delivered over to death 
for my sins, raised to life for my justification. You see, to believe that, that requires us to first honestly own my condition is so much worse than I ever thought. There is sin in me that needs to be forgiven, and I can't do anything about that. I need something, someone outside of me. I need Jesus. And like Abraham, come to God with a faith that's intimate, a faith that that doesn't just trust in a set of doctrines or ideas, but ultimately comes to trust in a personal God. A God who Paul says gave Jesus over on the cross and raised Jesus up from the dead for you. A God whose heart and hand were behind every last detail of your salvation. Come and put your trust in him. Come and put your trust in Jesus who's never let down anyone who was needy enough to come to him with the empty hands of faith. In the presence of your tears, in the presence of not having all the answers, in the presence of hard seasons, in the presence of your sin, when you feel abandoned, when you're overwhelmed, when you can't see a way forward, come to Jesus who rose from the grave, bearing the proof on his nail-scarred hands that when we believe in him, he not only can but will set you before his Father's eyes, guiltless, faultless, beloved. Guys, make Abraham's faith your faith. Because when you do, God will credit to you too the righteousness of Jesus, which is something so beyond what we ever thought God would do. See, here's what I think we naturally assume having the righteousness of Jesus accredited to me means. Jesus clears my record, he wipes my slate clean, so that in the courtroom of heaven, I'm declared not guilty and free to go. We would settle for that. I would settle for that. When God today stands ready to give you so much more. So I once uh, heard it described this way. Imagine you're in high school and you're playing on the soccer team. And after one of your games, your coach comes up to you and he says, man, Eric, I've got great news. I went to the stats guy and I got him to erase all your bad stats. And then it gets better. I mean, this took hours and hours and hours, but I actually went into the game film and I deleted every bad play you made. Every time you passed when when you should have shot, every time you shot when you should have passed, every tackle you missed, every ball you gave away, it's gone. I got rid of all of it. And and he he gives you that game film. And so what do you do? You you run home and and you get your whole family around the TV and you say, get the neighbors over. You guys are are never going to believe this. This was the best game ever. I was playing outside of my mind. Just watch till you see. You'll see what happened. I did Nothing. Is that what you want? No. What do you want? You want messy stats written next to your name. 
You want them to go into the game film and superimpose Cristiano Ronaldo over you. And that's what God does in the gospel. Having the righteousness of Jesus accredited to your name doesn't mean that God has erased all your bad stats. And now it's up to you to fill the sheet with all the good stats. You know what the church has called that? Heresy and a crushing burden. No, having the righteousness of Jesus credited to you means that God writes Jesus' stats next to your name, throws you up on his shoulder, and carries you out of that stadium like you just scored the game-winning goal saying, come on, everyone, we're going back to my place to celebrate like crazy because this is the best night ever. Having the righteousness of Jesus accredited to you means if it is true of Jesus, it is now true of you. God now relates to you as if you did every good thing that Jesus has done. It means that with full knowledge of all of our unrighteousness, the Father couldn't be more well-pleased with you than he is right now. So the pressure's off. The gospel is God giving us the verdict before the performance. So the pressure's off. We don't have to pretend. We don't have to portray something we're not. We don't have to be impressive to God and other people. Because we're not living for being declared righteous in Jesus, but from being declared righteous, accepted, and cherished in the gospel. So if Paul, the Apostle Paul, were here, here's how I think he'd end this sermon. Believe. Believe. Whether for the first time or for the thousandth time, believe. Because it's not just the doorway into God's heart in the gospel, but the stairwell we walk down deeper and deeper into his forgiving, embracing heart for us in Jesus. So let's believe. Let's pray. Father, we, we come to you right now and... We are so needy for your spirit. We are so needy for your Holy Spirit to take this word from the Apostle Paul and to make it come alive in us. To, to step in the mold that was Abraham's faith and come to life. Father, we pray that, that you would fill us with a hope-filled honest, intimate faith, whether for the first time or for the thousandth time today. And so that we can sing and rejoice right now that because of Jesus, pressure's off. We're not living for, but from you declaring us now and forever righteous, accepted, beloved by you. Help us to believe that. Amen. Amen.